Hello, and thanks for joining us. This is Disruptors at Work, an integrated care podcast, where all of the topics will be with subject matter experts, practitioners and providers, leaders and managers who are implementing integrated health projects all over the world. I'm your host, Dr. Kara English. So today we are talking with Gabe Orthaus, who is the program director for the master's degree in healthcare leadership, the newest degree program and only second academic degree program that we have ever offered at Cummings Graduate Institute. Um, So this has been a very long gestating uh, project coming to fruition, and we're super thrilled to be announcing to the world that uh, we will be admitting our first cohort of students uh, for the fall of 2022. So welcome, Gabe. Thanks for joining me to talk about the program. Thank you, Kara. Thank you for having me. Super exciting, exciting news. Yeah, it is. You and I worked closely together for, you know, the the initial days talking about the concept of the program, talking about, you know, the need for the program just in general, and really looking at um, kind of a deep dive into the healthcare, looking for the gaps so that we could really tailor the curriculum towards what students aren't getting in any other program. Yeah. And really why missing out on those teaching tools and those skills is leading to an ongoing healthcare system failure. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And, and I think when the, the concept of this design of it was around, like you said, the, the gaps of, of leadership and healthcare organizations needing to step up their, their leadership mm-hmm. uh, DNA in their organization. And that was kind of the, the impetus for it. When we were building it, obviously it was it was before COVID, mm-hmm. and I think that the the big catalyst in all of this has been COVID, and and the more need that that came because of that. Um, so the the why here is just transformational leadership, and that was kind of the entire idea from the very beginning. Is how do we get the right leaders uh, at the right point in their careers to really take it to the next level and catapult our organization, healthcare organization, whether it's technology or payer market or FQHC market, CIN, ACOs, et cetera, right? There's like different modalities for it, but how do we get um, you know, the, the young leaders, the, the, the next generation of leadership uh, into that transformational leadership process? Mm-hmm. And, and conceptualizing that was kind of hard because you know, one of the biggest things in our industry is saying things like, you know, we've always done it this way. And I think that 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 yes. has really in, impeded the progress of, of technology adoption, of pay, new payment models, et cetera. And then the other phrase that I really hate in our industry is, I don't know what I don't know, um, which I think is, is more uh, catastrophic today, uh, specifically around population health. Uh, epidemiology, the things that we're seeing because of COVID. Um, but then also we're starting to see the industry at large having in, issues with retaining the right people mm-hmm. uh, and retaining people in general. And, and we're, we're starting to hear things like like massive resignation yep. um, kind of trends. I, have you heard any of that? I mean, our absolutely. I was, I was going to bring that up. You know, it's yeah. kind of part of a conversation that you and I've had on an ongoing basis. And, and in fact, you know, just the other day we were talking about mass resignations and just the idea of 
you know, for a lot of healthcare leaders and certainly a lot of primary care providers getting out of the field rather than having to look at this complex, convoluted, systemic issue and need for change is really preferable. And so we're seeing this mass resignation, not just of uh, providers, but also of, of healthcare, you know, individuals who could be excellent leaders and excellent managers because the system is so toxic that they literally cannot survive if they stay in the system as it is currently. It's just, it's leaching their passion away and their energy away. And it's essentially creating its own really poisonous system to where the humans that we need who are, you know, very passionate heart, big hearted, you know, change makers are saying, I, I can't, I can't make a drip in, in this ocean that needs to be changed. And so I'm going to yeah. go. Yeah. Using the, the, the ocean metaphor here, you know, I see the tsunami coming, the water receding, because like you said, people are starting to realize the anxiety of, of having to be in a position where they don't see a path, they don't see a projection, they don't see a career. So they might as well go try something else somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes even moving out of healthcare altogether, which is completely detriment to our to our healthiness of our um, country as as a healthcare organizations mm-hmm. uh, are concerned. But then you have that from one and that level, right? So I, the the mass resignation from an individual perspective and not feeling supported. The second is is uh, people leaving the industry, leaders leaving the industry and retiring. So right. we're starting to see that you know, baby boomer leadership that, that was in our hospital systems are starting to uh, retire altogether. And because of COVID and because of a lot of things that were happening, a lot of people kind of put retirement off. Right. Uh, so when we come back to this new normal idea, you know, now we're, we're starting to see uh, healthcare executives nearing their retirement. And is there a path for continuity? Um, I just saw the other day on, on Wednesday, the, um, uh, on, on, on Becker's Hospital Review, 11 healthcare executives uh, nearing their retirement, right? I mean, people like Emily Greer out of, out of Memphis, Tennessee, I'm, you know, St. Jude's, for example, huge organization. Uh, the, the one that I'm more connected to is Stephen Glasgow, right? Always looked up to, to Dr. Glasgow uh, on the Philadelphia-based Jefferson Health System, humongous system in, in Philadelphia, right? And, and so uh, Debbie Austin, you know, there, there's so many different... Um, of these leaders that are that are leaving the industry altogether, and how do we fill that gap in leadership at the very top of the organization, but more importantly, also at the middle level of the organization from an operations, uh, both clinical and operational standards? Yeah, I I agree with everything you just said. I also have been noticing in nonprofit and in state health department leadership that you know senior level executives and you know really. Some of the, the folks who have a lot of experience making difficult decisions in public health, in you know, implementing from the get-go electronic healthcare records when nothing before existed like that, and yeah. you know, really doing the change management, they really don't have a succession plan in place. And if you, you know, as a CEO myself, talking with other CEOs of nonprofit organizations or, you know, executive deputy directors of departments, you know, at, at state healthcare departments, asking, you know, well, who do you have? Who, who's, you know, coming up so that they can back you up and then eventually replace you? And in many, many cases, there really isn't anyone. 
um, who would be able to step right in because it's that question, do you think one person could replace you? And most people are saying no, not right out of the gate because what I do is so complex and I wear so many hats. You're looking at a multitude of, you know, skill sets and most degree programs don't train for that multitude of skill sets right out of the gates. So I think what we are trying to do, well, I know what we were trying to do with the master's degree in healthcare leadership is really say, we're going to have exposure at the master's degree level to a lot of the executive level decisions that are being made. And, you know, you need to come out of the program ready to step into the environment. And part of the way we're going to train you to do that is by throwing a lot of these scenarios, you know, looking at a lot of cases, looking at a lot of decisions, looking at a lot of, you know, what could be done and what would it take, you know, what human resources, what financial resources, what data, what population health data would it take? And what, what is the change management leadership skill set that is needed for these environments to really take it to the next step and be able to serve the population? Because, you know, in the next 10 years, we're just going to have more patients and less pay for providers and the mass resignation of providers who cannot continue to sustain the level of quantity without having a quality of life. So we've got some major changes and also some major challenges. I, I mean, you said it right on. Um, and, and I would add a, a third kind of to the legged stool here on the, on the tsunami kind of idea which is the anxiety that our uh, professionals are experiencing from working from home and working remote, mm-hmm. uh, where you know before they were able to go to the hospital, but a lot of the administration level uh, had to you know essentially uh, work from home indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, that adds a level of complexity around anxiety and not getting connected, uh, mental health. There's so many other issues that may come up uh, with that model of of being remote 100. percent uh, so, you know, a, a webinar and, and obviously, you know, the Zoom fatigue that, that we have nowadays, or yep. whatever other type of uh, system you use, um, but that, that's, that's real, right? So that there's a certain level of mental health also that before in the office, you could potentially see a person's eye and say, hey, you, I feel like, you know, you're, you're feeling a little bit depressed or maybe you're down. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, that same level maybe may not happen uh, during Zoom. So I would say that those three things kind of coming together is, mm-hmm. is why we did this and, and why we, we thought, hey, you know, this is not a formula for everybody to kind of follow step A, B, and C, and all of a sudden you're a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for uh, leaders that are in progression towards leadership. Mm-hmm. These are leaders that may be uh, hardworking, organized pe- people that have bold personalities that want to um, that want to be top top leaders in their organization, but also it could be people that are anointed as, as leaders or future leaders and, and, and have those personalities to be able to take it to that point. And also people that are just, uh, they don't even know whether they want to be leaders or not, right? Um, maybe they want to be uh, not a C-level, but they want to be a director or a senior VP uh, of marketing, a CMIO, a CIO that wants to get into uh, kind of more of the information, the technology, the data. So it's a little bit of a, a wide net to be able to identify your own career path in in this program uh, and us helping you really achieve those targets and those milestones Mm -hmm. and give you the foundations and the tools 
to uh, really getting to an organization that believes in, in what Simon Sinek calls the infinite plan, right? right. Um, the, the finite versus the infinite, right? Programs that are infinite, right? You're trying to build something, you're trying to sustain, you're trying to persevere uh, towards something that's bigger and better. Right, absolutely. Kind of to be the catalyst and, and really lead the change and making sure that human beings are kept at the heart of the change, yep. making sure that, you know, because as much an actuary can take a look and say, we can make money if we do this, but is it really and truly in the interest, the best interests of human health? And that includes provider health. Yep. We can no longer sustain decisions that are primarily financially based and don't, and, and, you know, the bean counters can make any decision that they want and you can still run an organization into the ground and a system out of, out of relevance. Yeah. And so being able to say as a leader that may make actuarial sense, however, it's not fulfilling the need or the mission of the organization. And, you know, for, for us to be in alignment with the insurance industry or, you know, to be a good steward of Medicaid dollars. Yeah. Medicare dollars, we've, we've got to keep the person at the, at the root of the changes that we make and, and also have the data that we need to drive decisions in the direction of those needs. Yeah. So it's an yeah. exciting program. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing, so let's talk a little bit about the students who we hope will apply. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the student is really, the the person that's probably in their mid career, maybe they just graduated from from a bachelor's degree, that's looking into getting into the different modalities of healthcare, mm -hmm. whether is technology oriented systems, Epic Cerner, Athena Health, etc. Uh, from an EMR perspective, or from a population health management perspective, or from a telehealth perspective, because every every technology company needs those leaders, right? Mm -hmm. What we were talking about, those rah-rah personalities, the, right. the ones that are going to get um, and understand their teams and are going to focus on their teams, that they have goals, they have been able to quantify and tell a good story around that and, and have, you know, kind of the whole idea of Jim Collins, good to great, mm -hmm. um, and building great teams around that, right? Setting plans, setting clear objectives, et cetera. Um, there are many different modalities of leadership that, that you can go into, right? You can go to a hospital system, which sometimes we kind of think of that, right? We're thinking of the CEO, the COO, CIO, CMIO of a, uh, of a large health system. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's perfectly fine. And I think that there is a lot of that that needs to be um, figured out, right? Uh, from, a, from a capacity perspective and kind of who goes into those types of organizations. Right, but right. you said it as well that the payers have the same issue, right? Mm -hmm. So, so payers migrating from a fee for service perspective into a value based uh, program alignment with all modalities of care, um, I think is becoming more and more uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you you mentioned the public sector. You know, a lot of our Department of Public Health uh, are experiencing the same type of leadership uh, issues, uh, specifically right. because of COVID and mm -hmm. what has happened with COVID and the need for immunization registries and, and, and kind of technology enablement in that level. So the, the, the type of person is, is somebody that wants to uh, kind of push themselves out of their boundaries, mm -hmm. um, that, that want to be uh, really, that, that have that charisma, that have that hardworking attitude that is able to uh, figure out uh, long-term goals 
and, and really organize and figure out the tools necessary to play in these different fields. Yeah. Um, so what this program gives you is the tools foundationally, you know, around payment models, analytics, data, um, technology, uh, soft skills, right? So we, we, don't, we don't talk about the soft skills, but the soft skills I think are extremely important. Uh, storytelling uh, yeah. is an extremely important um, tool that we give them. Um, and then equip them to be able to go with a certified um, stamp of approval uh, to their bosses and be able to say, hey, here's what I learned and here's the practicality of what I learned. And so right. this program allows them to come out with a, with a clear product at the end of the, of the mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. that they can go back to their organization and say, I'm solving a real problem for you guys, right? Right. So it's a symbiotic. I mean, right. Right. That's one of the things I really like about the way that we designed the program, because, you know, you and I had both talked at the beginning about, you know, just the idea for a healthcare organization of making more of a strategic plan of who's going to replace me, yep. you know, uh, the succession plan, um, because, you know, whether you're at the C level or, you know, at the VP or just the director level or, or anywhere in between or, or above or below, you need to have a clear backup plan in order to create a sustainable organization yep. at CGI. We're constantly saying, okay, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, who takes over? And we make that, you know, we make that plan not to be morbid, but a lot of people don't like having that plan or feel like it's an inappropriate discussion to have. Right with staff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that discussion and you're not talking about the weedy nitty gritty details, yep. you are crippling your organization. And so for yeah. us to say, who's going to replace you and how are you helping? How are you investing in their preparation and growth to get to that point? This master's degree really takes on a big, critical, important, you know, strategy for a healthcare organization, for an insurance organization, for a nonprofit organization, because it says, okay, I believe in, you know, this person or this group of people, yeah. and I'm going to invest, you know, from a tuition perspective in that growth, it's a 30 hour master's degree program, which is a pretty quick program, comparatively speaking. And it's also a pretty relatively affordable tuition. It's about a third of the cost of most master's degree programs in healthcare right now. And so from an organizational standpoint, you look at, you know, the amount of investment that you're making for a person between 12 and $13,000 in that succession plan. That's, you know, like you said before, that's, that's not even what most organizations spend looking for people on LinkedIn, oh, you yeah. know, do, doing a uh, indeed, you know, investment in trying to recruit someone new rather than, you know, taking a person who you already know, who, you know, has certain skill sets, but you want to grow them. Why not invest in them in that way? Yeah. No, absolutely. If you can get um, your organization, your current organization to essentially uh, invest in your future, uh, definitely look into this program for that reason. Mm -hmm. I think that in, in general, if you are also uh, have, you know, three major things around, um, it boils down to really having selflessness, empathy, and the ability to manage anxiety on your mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. if, if you have those basic characteristics, I'm not saying that you're 100%, you know, proficient at it, but if you have those three basic traits um, mm -hmm. and you're looking to transform this industry, uh, this program is for you. 
right? Because it's going to put you and it's going to pair you with not only academia and professors and students that are in that same journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it differentiates from, a, from an MHL or an MBA or any other type of master's in when you kind of think of the traditional kind of MBA programs out there mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, this is very targeted towards healthcare leadership. Right. Right. And it also gives you the ability to, uh, like I said, come up with a product, come out with right. something that you can conceptualize in your organization to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three is really the exposure to the, the, the great partnerships that you're going to build, uh, not only with the academia in, inside of CGI, but also mm-hmm. um, with the people that are going through the program with you. And Right. And, Creating and, a cohort, a network cohort. Of, exactly. of colleagues who you can go to because that, you know, I have found in, in healthcare as a, a leader and as a clinician and, and as an executive that it can be a very lonely position because there is so much competition. Yep. So having colleagues that you can go to and speak to across the United States and potentially internationally as well, because the, the reach for this program, the interest for this program is truly global. Yep. And so, you know, being able to say, what are things like in, Cornwall in England, you know, what are things like in Poland? What are things like in the Netherlands is something that I really enjoy because truthfully here in the United States, the the competition and the capitalist drive to be the biggest organization making the most really um, has people keeping ideas and energy close to their chest rather than connecting with one another to help sort of the tide lift all boats, right? Yeah. No, you're right on. And, and, and again, not talking bad about any other program. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, an, an MBA and I do have an MBA. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, I was taught and I was built to uh, worry about the quarters and the financials of the quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very finite kind of way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're trying to create here is an infinite, you know, how do you make your organization better and how do you leave it better than what it was before? Mm-hmm. And, quantification of better is hard, right? Because like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about money? Are we talking about a uh, number of patients that we touch? Like what, what is it that we're talking about when we say we're trying to improve the system? And, but you're co- correctly right. I mean, this, this program was designed to give you um, a purview of what happens globally, mm-hmm. uh, what happens locally. So I call it the 30,000 level view as far and also the three foot view mm-hmm. of the world. And, and how do we support the teams from a leadership perspective, whether or not you're a leader in the organization or not, but how do you have those technical skills, those those leadership skills to be able to uh, bring your teams to a cohesive focused plan? And right. Right. right? Um, having the idea of fail fast, having the idea of mm-hmm. uh, being able to prototype and be agile on the way that you think about different problems and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is kind of foundational in the course. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things as you're talking, I'm thinking about too, just to go back to, so the capstone project is the final um, series or course in the program, right? <clears throat> and this is where I see a huge opportunity for healthcare organizations to really invest in that succession plan to, you know, really put a leader in a position where it's a win-win. So with a $12,000, $13,000 investment in a human being, you can choose a project that your organization is really having a hard time with. And you can ask the person who's going through the program to make that their capstone project. And so every course in the program will give them background context, new skills, new information to throw at that 
project at that problem that the organization needs to solve. And at the end of the master's degree program, they have a solution. And not only does it help the organization, it helps the individual because of course, you know, when we're done with a program that doesn't stop our learning, it doesn't stop our growing as a human being, as a leader, but it at least gives a win-win to the organization in a lot of different ways, as well as to the individual. Um, and so it's, it, it's exciting to me to think about this as an active strategy in sustainability for an organization, as well as a serious strategy for meeting the next 10 years of serious challenges that we're facing in healthcare. Yeah, no, right on. I think that uh, having that very, you know, poignant phrase of this is what we're trying to be mm-hmm. and this is what we're trying to accomplish gives you the plan. And the mm-hmm. plan doesn't have to be perfect. It could be an imperfect plan to begin with. But if you're able to adjust it over time and come to the table with the solutions using the tools that you've been given, you know, you, you end up the program with solving really hard problems. Right. Uh, all the easy problems have been already solved in my opinion, right? But it's the ones that are just like, you know, uh, draining our system, yeah, right. Uh, that cut across many different modalities of of, of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones that I think um, our students are going to embark on, mm-hmm. and they're going to. If you find a passion for solving really hard problems, this is the kind of program for you. I agree. And we've seen some of that in our doctor of behavioral health program as well. We've seen, you know, that students are really, they're not choosing easy, you know, low hanging fruit for their culminating projects. They're choosing things that are real difficult issues that healthcare has as of yet not been able to solve. Um, And so for them, it's a, it's a great learning tool and it's certainly a great individual, you know, career advancing strategy, but for an organization, to me, it, it really, it's a, it's a different level of strategy for the succession plan for, you know, strategic growth and development of the organization. Um, and you know, I just like, I love the idea too. So I'm, let's talk a little bit about the difference between the master's degree in healthcare leadership and, and a master's degree in public health. So lots of primary care physicians and, and even some of the OBs that I work with have throughout the course of their medical doctorate degree, they've, you know, picked up a master's degree in public health. So, you know, the differentiation, there is a a public health management perspective that, that we use, you know, from a curriculum standpoint in the MHL program, but it's not the focus of the entire program. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, what uh, an MPH program, you know, focus is versus the MHL? Yeah. No, it's a great question. And, and obviously, because of COVID and, and the pandemic, um, public health has become such a great issue. Um, you, you would have asked me two years ago, you know, uh, should I get an MHL uh, Masters of Health Leadership or should I get a, a, you know, an MPH or something like that? Um, and, and I would have said, you know, we, we don't need any more public health people. <laughs> right? Right. We have too many. Right. Uh, but obviously, with everything going on right now, with, with the pandemic and mm-hmm. just understanding health equity and everything that we that we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in the past couple of years uh, here 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. um, obviously you know we need public health people and we need very um, steady leadership in in our departments of public health mm-hmm. um, but I think the view there is to look at things more holistically 
and look at populations uh, through uh, public health uh, based on the funding mechanism, which is primarily Medicare and Medicaid, mm-hmm. right? And, and very important uh, funding mechanisms, obviously, because that's that's where the majority of the money comes in, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the top or echelons of the 65 plus, and mm-hmm. then the poor and underrepresented on the, on the bottom, especially kids. But really the, the, the thing here, and I think the focus has always been um, the state and the federal government as a funding mechanism towards the health of the population. Right. Uh, so you, you do things like social determinants of health, or uh, mm-hmm. you do things like understanding, you know, populations, vaccinations, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, right? Uh, so all those sorts of things I think are extremely important. And, and obviously it gives you a wide range of topics uh, to deal with, right? Uh, right. Kids with uh, cancer that have asthma, uh, right. kids that don't have access to uh, water, right? Flint, Michigan, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, so you can go in many different directions as more of the population. I want I think is is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, this program is a little bit different. It does encompass a lot of that. So we do have a population health management track on it mm-hmm. that talks about public health and it talks about the importance of social determinants of health and and really using data holistically to mm-hmm. understand the population at large. Right. Um, but it also brings in all the other payment models is the commercial uh, models, is the, the, the uh, point of service uh, payment models. Mm-hmm. Right. Is the cash flow is the telehealth is the right. right. So it's everything, not just the technology, but also where the money's coming from. Right. Independent of whether it comes from the uh, government or not. I think that the government is, a, is an important payer to consider. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have all the commercial payers that are paying for that insurance design as well. Yeah. And so when you layer in the whole idea of value base, mm-hmm. right, we're not talking about a CPT and an ICD-10 code anymore. We're talking about a value, a quality and a risk assessment that occurs, you know, um, not just at the public level, at the public health level, it, it occurs at the individual patient level, right? right? So, so it brings in really the three major stakeholders and understanding that, you know, you have the employers that buy insurance, mm-hmm. the insurance providers, Edna, Cigna, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, mm-hmm. and the patient. Right. And, and on top of all of that, there's a healthcare delivery system or a service system that's trying to um, take care of all those three entities, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, a provider organization, an FQHC market, uh, is going to worry about probably more Medicaid or mm-hmm. duals, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, but other organizations may deal more on the commercial side. Mm-hmm. Again, this program goes very wide when we talk about those different perspectives and those different kind of stakeholders in our industry. Mm-hmm. While I think that the, the, the Masters of Public Health focuses more around at the academia of the mm-hmm the public and what's needed at that level. And obviously mm-hmm. COVID has been number one because COVID vaccines and stuff like that. So, um, so it's a little bit different. I mean, it, equal, but different. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also think, you know, from, from the perspective of a public health official, and I know, you know, having an understanding of how public health works is important for a medical doctor. And, and that's one of the great things about many MDs, right now that are getting a master's in public health because they have that expanded focus. It's not just a, you know, individual patient treating the individual patient. There's more of a, a family, you know, perspective, as well as a community perspective. Like you said, the three foot view gets to be a little bit more like a 3000 foot view, but the challenge, and and I agree with you is that a lot of times we're, we're not thinking about the payer. The, you know, and it could be the pay provider, which we've talked about before, you sure. know, but from the perspective of 
How do we make sure that everyone has access to the care that they need based on, you know, the risk, the level of risk? Yeah. And, and how do we make sure that our interventions are not, well, everybody with type two diabetes has to do, you know, all of this treatment. How do we make sure that for individuals with diabetes who also have depression, anxiety, you know, some cardiovascular issues, maybe asthma, um, you know, some kidney issues, you know, how do we make sure that the more complex patient yeah. view, you know, is really able to access a more complex treatment strategy while integrating the advice and recommendations of many different specialists yeah. in a team. You know, how do we look at that? And I think that's where CGI really has a, a leg up on the competition because, you know, at our outset, we were founded to be an, an academic and an education and training organization for the integrated care workforce. Yeah. And so for a lot of individuals, you know, I'm not sure the degree to which integration has been included in other master's degree programs in healthcare. And, and I can say that from a clinical um, behavioral health perspective, most uh, master's degree programs or even PhD programs only, you know, have maybe a fraction or a sliver or a taste of, you know, the integrated care model. Yeah. Um, it, it really the, the doctor of behavioral health program was really the first doctoral level program to really focus on integrating care for every individual across the board and looking at that from a holistic three foot view, but 3000 foot view at the same time. I, I think that's another exciting element of the MHL program, being able to say, well, we may be doing what population health, you know, intervention says is appropriate for an individual with this disease, but what about all their other diseases? What about all the other chronic complaints and issues. And what about, you know, who in their family is able to be a caregiver? Do we have anybody? And if not, do we have neighbors? How's this person getting around? What, you know, what are their social determinants? What's transportation look like? What does access to nutritious food look like? You know, what do they have any ability at all to have somebody take a walk with them, you know, so that they're safe and they don't fall or, you know, they're safe in, in a safe walking area, et cetera. So really looking at that from yeah. a very, um, 3000 foot view, and then designing a, a solution that really takes all of those factors into consideration. That's really what the MHL is all about. Yeah. And, you know, think about the leadership uh, methodology that we've had so far in our country um, after the high tech act and after, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Obamacare or the ACA, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, we've built organizations to really uh, feel like they're in silos, right? So yeah. the CFO's perspective on a health system was fee-for-service, volume, 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 yep. right? While the CIO is, I, I got to replace this EMR or I got to implement mm -hmm. this EMR, et cetera, right? The CMIO is worrying about, you know, uh, clinical workflows and, and pathways. Mm -hmm. um, the chief medical officer is just making sure that our providers are not leaving and that they're staying and providing quality of care, mm -hmm. right? And, and so, what the MHL does, it cuts across all of those things, mm -hmm. right? And it, mm -hmm. and it creates really the CVO, what, what uh, Simon Sinek calls the CVO, which is the chief vision officer, mm -hmm. is the visionary, is a transformative leader that comes in and brings together the friendship between those C-levels yeah. to interact and understand outcomes-based medicine, outcomes-based financial models, 
that are going to make the organization sustainable mm-hmm. for future generations. Yeah, so I love it, that idea. I love that CVO. Yes, CVO, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, I, I think too, just based on the vision, again, it takes a special person to be that CVO. Mm-hmm. You can't be overly focused on any one of those C-level areas and at the same time, the C-level individual, whether it's the chief medical officer or the chief finance, you know, you do have to have a very weedy level view of your area. You have to be the expert in that area, but having the person to unite and, and that doesn't always have to be the CEO. Yeah. The CEO has, you know, the responsibility for the health and wellness of the organization and, and certainly that for the strategy, but they can often get lost in the extreme expectations of what a CEO is and does. And so, you know, to have somebody who really unites all of the levels, including the CEO with that vision. Okay. What, what is the vision I think would be great. I love that idea. Absolutely. So um, I think, you know, just from the perspective of uh, prospective students, we've, we've kind of spoken a little bit about, you know, the passion and the need. One of the things, too, that I, I can really appreciate about our efforts in the MHL is that, like you mentioned, we, we really did a lot of the, de- the design during COVID. And so COVID and the new post-COVID, you know, world of a, you know, post global pandemic still in the middle of a global pandemic world is baked right into the curriculum of the program. Um, and, you know, alongside that and, and, and really hand in hand with that is the idea that delivery of healthcare is becoming more and more technological and digital. And from that perspective, how do we do our best for people when we are getting this zoom window instead of the whole body um, so that we're looking at all of the, you know, information that comes from nonverbal body language. Um, and so, you know, from a technological standpoint and, and just from a human to human through technology standpoint, I, I think our, our program is going to do a lot for people because otherwise there's, you know, there's tons and tons of webinars out there right now on how do we do our best for patients using telehealth but I think from a strategic you know, perspective, and again, looking at the culture of the organization and the culture from a, you know, how healthy are we environmentally for our own employees? How do we keep people's passions and skill sets high? And how do we not burn people out, even though we're using a very different delivery system than they came to the job you know, for in the beginning? Yeah, right on. I, I mean, you and I have had this conversation around toxicity and, and there should mm-hmm. be a toxicity index, mm-hmm. um, just like there's a quality measure index and a, and a financial index uh, mm-hmm. for our organizations. Um, toxicity has become a, a big issue uh, in retaining the right employees and retaining the, the, the right personnel, not just on the clinical side. And obviously our nurses are, are experiencing a huge issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I read article after article around traveling nurses and on the yeah. right. So from a, from a capacity perspective, COVID has changed the way that we think about um, our, our people mm-hmm. and, and how we think about empathy and how we think about sustainability and support mm-hmm. uh, while 
you know, maybe two years ago, you know, uh, people were indispensable and you could just hire somebody and health system haven't done that for generations, right? They right. stolen their, their doctors, you know, the doctors go from this hospital, this hospital, this hospital, this hospital, right? Depending on, on which one gives it a, a better uh, fee schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I think today because of telehealth and because of what we had to experience being locked into our homes, mm-hmm. uh, it it is... It, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and obviously, there were some barriers around uh, technology adoption through telehealth because of the fact that HIPAA restricted a lot of information being, you know, being on video. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it takes one pandemic to throw HIPAA out the door and say, mm-hmm. now you can use Zoom to do it, right? Right. Um, and, and, and again, that a lot of providers lost a lot of money during that time because there wasn't any fee-for-service going on. So they were trying to do anything and everything to, to just kind of stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, we, we now see the new reality. I think we now have a better view of what this new world is going to be. Right. But there's going to be entrenched indicators in our organizations that are going to say, you know, we've always done it this way. Who moved my cheese, right? Yeah. Like, like I'm, I, I will fight any any change whatsoever. So the change management component of our program, I think, is so important. Mm-hmm. We have a whole a whole area around dedicated to change management, and that's one of our foundations that cuts across all of our different things, mm-hmm. right? It's like, how do you institute change? How do you institute right. behavioral change? Uh, and it's hard. It's not something that's easy just to be able to say that. No, no, right? like, it really isn't. No. Well, and, you know, CGI right now has a grant funded project, um, a partnership with the San Carlos Apache tribe out in, you know, close to Eloy, Arizona and eastern Arizona. Um, And they have a hospital, an emergency department and a wellness center that does behavioral health as well as a crisis department. And the community is, you know, has they, you know, suffered a high loss rate due to COVID as many other Native American reservations and tribal areas did. And they had to take a, a real look at how, how are we able to sustain because everybody is so burned out. Yeah. And so one of the models that, you know, we took a look at together through the partnership is called the Stanford model of professional fulfillment. And it, it takes a look at, okay, from a cultural standpoint, you know, how healthy is our is our culture. Do we have play, you know, first and foremost, sometimes the medical system eats its young by, you know, not allowing them to fail or having such high demands on their time and attention that there is no time or space for a new person to come in and learn without being terrified of getting fired because they've made a mistake. Yeah in an environment where mistakes can be life and death. So, you know, how do we bring all of this together? Know, you know, the boundaries and and what we're dealing with as well as the, you know, critical importance of having a level of support and health and wellness at our foundation as a culture. And so I'm really excited about this project and and I think it will really impact the both both of our academic degree programs um, to go through the process in partnership with the community of the San Carlos Apache tribe, because I think it will, you know, the the tribal community and then the healthcare provider community within the tribe, it's really two communities that, that we're able to partner with to do this project. And it's the first time CGI has had an opportunity 
opportunity to have that kind of funding to work with, you know, from the organization at a foundational cultural level. Um, so it'll be a really interesting thing, but that's something that I really want to impart you know, for our master's degree students, for our doctoral students is if you're not looking at the culture from an evidence-based perspective of how do we make this just work environment well, how do we enable, empower wellness for every individual? And when an individual isn't well, how do we address that from a supportive and not a punitive standpoint? You know, and it's small things, um, you know, like looking at time off policies and, and sick pay policies and family leave, which, you know, has been a federal national issue. Um, but also looking at the perspective of what does the environment itself look like, you know, after a tragedy happens and we lose a patient due to, you know, just out of our control factors, how do we deal with that? What do we do and how do we support people? So um, I'm excited to be able to do that. And I'm excited to be able to, you know, incorporate it into the master's degree and doctoral programs so that our students can go into like back into industry with every project that they do and really, you know, infuse the environment with those questions, those important questions that should be asked. You know, how how are we well? How are we projecting wellness to, to our employees and how are we supporting and empowering that? Yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's key. That's amazing. I'm I'm glad that that's going to be um, foundational for for our students to understand. You know, uh, the the quantification of toxicity. You know, mm-hmm. making it an index is is not is you know it's not a black and white situation here in the sense mm-hmm. of you know it's 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 understanding what are the parameters that we feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So is the confidence interval around toxicity? Mm-hmm. Sometimes toxicity. To a certain extent, um, it's good. It, it makes teams stronger. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes people just react differently to the environment than other people do. Right. right? So we, we talk about culture a lot in our inference of, uh, of the program. Mm-hmm. And I think culture is hard to define because it's, it's based on the people that are on the ground. Right. Uh, so you can't write about culture unless you're talking about people. Right. Uh, so, but but I think this program does touch very much on that foundation of culture mm-hmm. and the importance of understanding what it is and what it isn't. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we can say, "Yeah, we're we're a culture of hard workers." Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? What are you not hardworking at the sake of what? <laughs> you know exactly. What, I mean? what are we sacrificing <laughs> for that hard work? Right. Exactly. And where where's the balance? And what are we communicating verbally and through modeling to our employees about yeah. the importance of their health to us as executives, as leaders, and to the public, because yeah. the public needs them <laughs> to yeah, be at their absolutely. best. Yeah. Absolutely. So Well, thank you so much for talking with me today about the master's degree in healthcare leadership. We're going to be going live on December 6th with um, all of our marketing on our website and and social media. And um, like I I mentioned earlier, our first cohort will be uh, fall of 2022. And so the application deadline will be, you know, closer to the fall um, or excuse me, closer to the middle of summer. Um, but we're really looking forward to seeing uh, the, the new crop of students in the master's degree. I, I, I really hope we get a lot of, you know, uh, attention from the healthcare industry because I think it's a, a very important strategy and, and definitely would be a great fit for that succession plan and, you know, the 
fulfillment of mass resignation, what do we do about that? Absolutely. I'm super excited about it. Um, I think that we are uh, touching on a niche, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, one of the niche that we found out during COVID was the whole idea of a masterclass. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, th this is not like a masterclass, but I, I keep thinking about how we thought about learning in a, in a different perspective mm -hmm. uh, and how to connect with our students and how to connect to the students where they need us. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is what this program is about. So I'm super excited about it. I am too. And I'm just, I'm glad that you are going to be leading it because, you know, in our, in our years of knowing one another, you are my go-to person when I have tough questions about, about the healthcare industry or when I want to talk real talk about the industry. So I'm, I'm very, very glad that, you know, meeting you at a conference years ago has led us down this pathway together. It's exciting. It's the journey that you're with uh, that makes it, you know, awesome. So absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All right, Gabe. Well, thanks so much for being with me today and uh, we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you, Kara.